Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. And we're very pleased to have John Reed join us today as our podcast guest to talk about must-do business development and marketing activities. So, John, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Sure, and I'm so happy to be here. I am a recovering attorney. I've uh, moved away from the practice, and but not too far away. I now help attorneys build outstanding business development relationships and assist firms with their legal marketing efforts. And my team and I, we work with law firms across the country, law firms of all sizes, and help them with all different kinds of their uh, business development and marketing needs. Lawyers often confuse the terms marketing and business development. How are they different? That's a great question. And I think you're absolutely right. It is, there are two terms that attorneys often confuse. Marketing, uh, at least in my mind, is promoting your brand. So it's communicating what it is that you do, your strengths, your practice skills, in the hopes that for the prospective client, that message will resonate and they will want to make contact with you. Marketing is also something you do in between those personal touches to reinforce existing relationships. Business development is the relationship building. And I often tell attorneys that if they're 100% committed to business development, they really don't need to do any marketing. If you're out there meeting people and promoting your brand face-to-face and having conversations and learning about other people and their needs, you can build a pretty healthy practice. But in reality, you know, the practice of law takes time. People can't commit that 100% to business development. So that's where marketing, the idea of you know, communicating your brand in different ways really comes into play. Marketing, you know, there's law firm marketing, and those are all of kind of the big ticket items. So websites and advertising and mass communications. When it comes down to personal marketing, what the individual attorney does, it's really just three things in my mind. It's writing, speaking, and social media. And social media is kind of a strange hybrid between marketing and business development. So kind of distinction there too. And and so I think it takes a lot of pressure off of individual attorneys when they think, well, what can I do for my own marketing, you know, to really push my brand out. And and I think when you say, yeah, it's as easy as, you know, writing articles or blog posts, it's as easy as giving presentations. It's, you know, using social media to to leverage your thought leadership. Um, That's kind of doable for a lot of people. Yes. So, John, do you feel that the balance between business development and personal marketing, does that change depending on an attorney's years of experience and also their practice area or areas? I think it does. I think it does. For newer attorneys, I often say sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. And you can be a prolific writer through a lot of different channels to promote the practice that you want to have. And so that's where personal marketing comes into play. Now, that's not to say that newer attorneys shouldn't be spending time networking, building relationships. You know, you never know. That person you sat next to in first-year contracts could end up being a general counsel or, you know, a direct client someday. So you have to sow the seeds early. But I think when attorneys become more seasoned and they develop those relationships and they have 
experience under their belts. Then sometimes they move away from those personal marketing activities, and that's completely fine. I think the other thing to take into account, as you mentioned, is what your practice is like for what I call you know, volume-based practices. So where you're relying on a lot of new clients, personal injury, family law, consumer bankruptcy, criminal defense, where you know, hopefully people only have need for you one time in, in the course of their lives, but you need a lot of clients, that's where you need to start looking at more mass marketing activities. So you know, digital marketing, email marketing, certainly uh, SEO, and maybe even paid social media, those types of campaigns are things that a, that a volume-based practice might want to consider more heavily. What are the marketing activities that every lawyer should do? That's a great question. Um, you know, th- these are my two cents worth here, but I'll, but I'll throw these in here. I think first and foremost, we live in the digital age. Gone are the days when I would see somebody and they asked me for a referral to a lawyer and I might say, well, you know, Joanne and Tish are all that in a bag of chips and you need to call them. Gone are the days when they would pick up the phone and call you. Instead, people go to Google the lawyer that they're going to hire, no matter how ringing the endorsement may be. So you really have to go and Google yourself. You have to take an audit of your online presence and make sure those things are up to date. We know through statistics that when people go online, they pay the most attention to attorney bios on their websites as well as LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, as far as social media is concerned, is completely non-negotiable. You have to be on LinkedIn and you have to have a complete profile. You know, if you really want to go to the next level, you make sure that your website bio is not the same as your LinkedIn bio. You want to have them read a little bit differently because they're different formats. But you should also pay attention to your other directory listings. You may have a fine law profile or a justia profile or super lawyers or, or lawyers.com or martindale.com. So making sure that those things are current is really, really important. You want to present yourself in the best possible light. And if somebody is seeing that you are not consistent across your directory profiles, that you are not on LinkedIn, that could be a red flag. And maybe that's the difference between somebody picking up the phone to call you and not picking up the phone. When it comes to website bios in particular, they should be inviting. They should be engaging. People want to see what you're like. And sometimes it's a way to let people know, prospective clients know, what it's like to work with you before they talk with you. So being able to convey what it is you do, the types of clients that you work with, how you've helped them. So maybe even succinct statements of representative cases, representative matters, you know, sanitize them if you need to maintain confidentiality, but make it so that somebody can really get a feel for who you are as an attorney and that they are more comfortable in picking up the phone and calling you or referring you. A lot of times attorneys will make referrals and want to go to your LinkedIn profile first to make sure that everything's in order. So it's really helpful for all your connections. I think another thing to really pay attention to is social media. And I'm not necessarily a social media evangelist. I don't think everybody has to be on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And and I'm even working with clients now on Instagram. As I did say, LinkedIn is non-negotiable. I think you have to be on it in terms of a profile. But I think you have to understand it. And understanding social media from the perspective of your prospective client. If you have a consumer-oriented practice, you're going to have to consider Facebook a little more seriously because so many people are using Facebook as a search engine now. They are looking for 
businesses and people and resources on Facebook. And so if it makes sense that that's where people would look for you as an attorney, you need to consider it. Also, I want to make sure when I say social media, I'm also talking about blogs because blogging is a way for you to not only promote your brand, but people can comment on your blogs. And it's also an anchor. A blog post is something that you can share on social media. You can take that thing that you wrote and then leverage it across different social networks to get the biggest bang for your buck. So I think, as I say, understanding social media, not only the benefits, but also the potential pitfalls. You know, we certainly have to worry about legal ethics, you know, giving the appearance of having created an attorney-client relationship on social media when we don't need to. I think a lot of attorneys are gun-shy about social media for that reason, and, and while they should be concerned, I don't think it's something that would completely deter any attorney from considering leveraging that channel. A question I've heard from people as I go around other attorneys, I've heard people discussing and wondering if they should spend any of their marketing budget on things like television commercials. As you're talking about social media, I keep thinking of that question being asked and wonder what your thoughts are about that kind of outreach. Sure. You know, television is very expensive and it's very competitive. I think one of the advantages that cable television has over the air, regular broadcast television is how surgical it can be. You can define a geographic audience down to a particular city. And you can also choose particular stations. So if you're trying to reach a particular audience, Comcast is very helpful in figuring out what the demographics are for the viewership of those channels and putting something together. So, you know, it used to be if they, when there were just three basic channels in town, you were either on TV or you were off TV. And now with the opportunities that digital television offers, it's pretty interesting. But it's expensive. It's certainly, you know, more expensive than other things. And I think one of the most exciting areas for advertising right now is paid social media. Facebook in particular can be extremely cost-effective, extremely surgical when you're trying to identify your audience, and viral. So you can post something that appears on the feeds of your target audience on Facebook, and if somebody likes it and comments and shares it, it goes out to all their followers. So you go beyond what your intended reach was, sometimes with really powerful results. And I think what's also great about that is you have some different options. You can take a blog post, for example, so something that's informational, and you can boost that as a form of paid social media advertising, or you can create an ad that directs people back to your website or a landing page. But I think, as I say, the cost effectiveness, it's a pay-per-click model. You can set your daily budgets, you can set your overall budget, and you can tweak things on the fly and do different testing to make sure you're getting the best opportunity. Interesting. Very interesting. So, John, question for you on targeting your market activities. How important is it, for instance, to target based upon the age of your clients and your practice areas? For instance, I would think if someone is, for instance, dabbling and practicing in several different areas of law, it would be harder to target those because there might be so many different types of entities and individuals that they're trying to push their information out to. Can you address that? Targeting by client is critical. Gone are the days when, you know, build your practice and they will come. And I think lawyers are getting better at switching hats, taking off their lawyer hats and putting on their client hats and really finding where their clients and prospective clients live. 
So we talked before about advertising. You know, when I say where do they live, what organizations do they belong to? Civic, charitable. What publications do they read? If it's business clients, what professional groups do they belong to? What circles do they move in? That can really help you define your marketing efforts and avoid accidental marketing or ad hoc marketing. So age becomes important. Sometimes it's important to target by specific gender, educational level, household income, you know, whatever, whatever the, the right demographic may be. Um, and I think that's where you have to rely on the various media outlets to give you that information. And I think that because it's so competitive out there for advertising, I do think the media outlets are getting better at breaking down their audiences and conveying that information to potential advertisers. Thank you. I have another question. I would like to know what must-do business activities are most important. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody has contacts. And some people have more contacts than others. And the more contacts you have, sometimes the more daunting it is to say, well, where do I start when I'm trying to develop relationships or or maybe even restart some relationships? You can't just start with A and work your way to Z. I'm going to date myself when I refer back to the Rolodex, where that was the central place we used to keep all of our contacts and our business cards. Now we could have contacts on our phones, on our computers, I know people that still maintain, you know, stacks of business cards. So finding first a place to organize your contacts. And it's whatever works for you. So if you want to have a shoebox full of business cards, that's fantastic if that's your system. If you want to use an Excel spreadsheet, that's great. If you want to use your Outlook address book, fine. If you want to go with a more expensive CRM tool for your firm where you're housing all of those relationships and making notes, that's fantastic. But whatever works. You know, I often hear the worst thing you can tell an attorney is um, you need to learn another piece of software. So every attorney needs to find the system that works best for them. Frankly, I even have a client that uses sticky notes and just moves them across the wall, you know, in terms of how he moves his contacts around. So in terms of organizing, that's important. And when we say organize, it's not just alphabetical. It's also, you know, what buckets they fall in. So there are clients, there are prospective clients and targets, there are referral sources, there are business partners, maybe those are experts or other folks. And even within the client bucket, is it a very needy active client? Is it a dormant client? And once you start organizing by these buckets, then you can start prioritizing. So what contact in the active client bucket requires a lot of handholding and who doesn't? And depending on the urgency of that relationship or the amount of attention it needs, that's when you can start organizing your activity. So somebody who is, you know, a very remote connection who may be a possible business source someday, you know, maybe they're only worthy of a twice a year email or a newsletter campaign or something like that. Whereas that very, very demanding client You know, they need to be top of the ranks. They need to have your attention. So if the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, going through and and organizing your contacts and prioritizing them according to urgency is a way for you on a regular basis, let's say monthly, print out your list and say, okay, these are my clients that I need to talk to this month. And these people deserve a phone call. These people I got to take out to lunch or play golf or 
whatever. You know, these people, maybe I can leave them a voicemail at 7 in the morning or 8 at night knowing that I'm not going to talk to them, but at least they feel like I've touched them. And then other people, maybe I can just get away with something, you know, like a MailChimp campaign or an an email after hours or something like that. So you're very active with that. You have to keep going back to it and keep up with it, right? It's true. It's true. So I coach attorneys on business development. And one of the things that I'm particularly adamant about is I don't coach to dollars. I don't start an engagement with an attorney and say, we're going to achieve a certain increase in billings or ramp up your book of business by the end of our relationship, nor do I make it necessarily a goal that they should have. Instead, the only real metrics that I coach to are activity levels. So, you know, I think it's helpful for any attorney to say, what can I commit to in a given week? I can't have 10 lunches a week. I can't go out for drinks eight nights a week. And maybe I've got a family, maybe I've got other commitments. So what can I commit to in terms of out of the office activity? But beyond that, what can I commit to in terms of in-office activity? Can I carve out a certain number of minutes every day to have phone calls or emails or send LinkedIn invitations to folks? You know, what is my business development activity? What's my regimen look like on a given basis? And that's where the discipline comes in. And so once you have your contacts organized and then you have your go-to list of activities, you can marry the two and be able to stick with that discipline and be committed to your plan. Another thing that I think is an important business development activity is who's on your team? And it doesn't matter whether you have a solo practice or you're in a firm of hundreds of attorneys, you have clients with needs beyond what you can provide. So if you are a general corporate attorney and you don't do litigation, who is your go-to commercial litigator contact? down the hall, across the street? Who is your immigration contact, labor and employment, tax, intellectual property? Who is on your team? Cross-selling these days, I think, is broken. When it comes to referring a client to another attorney, a lot of times it sounds like, I have this client, he has this need, give him a call and let me know how it turns out. If you are captaining your team, if you are managing that account, which I think is a better way to approach cross-selling, then that means you're drafting the players on your team, you're setting up the rules, it's your relationship, and they have to play by your rules. And I think that I've seen some very, very healthy share of client increases when attorneys look at a client for across all their needs and think about the people they'd like to work with and have work with that client as well. But I think what's also really important is think about the needs that aren't just legal needs that your clients may have. So if you are an estate planning attorney, do you know financial advisors? Do you know real estate brokers? If you're a corporate attorney, do you know the Cintas rep? Because maybe it's a retail client that you have and they have need for uniforms and lobby rugs. And the only way you're going to know that is to ask your clients to find out what needs they have. And then you can go and build your team. And you can create a great referral system that way, especially if it's business partners who are outside the law. If you become their go-to lawyer referral, you may corner the market with that person. And I think underlying all of this when it comes to business development is be curious. You know, in Glengarry Glen Ross, Alec Baldwin said, ABC, always be closing. I don't think so. I think it's always be curious, always be conversing. 
if you are finding out what other people are thinking or what their needs are, you can act on those things. You know, Dale Carnegie said it is far better to be interested than interesting. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. The other thing that's really powerful is, you know, your clients look to you as an attorney to dispense sage advice and, and, you know, wise counsel. And if you can turn around to them and say, I could really use your help, I could really use your guidance or your advice on something, that tends to build a lot of trust and rapport. You're kind of evening the scales. You're taking your pedestal down a notch and lifting up theirs. And that is something that we all want when we're trying to be trusted advisors to our clients. And that curiosity, it goes so far. I mean, we talked about earlier, where do your clients live? Well, you have to ask them what professional circles they move in. You have to find out what publications they read or what groups they belong to. And then you can take what's a marketing activity, publishing, speaking, and turn it into a business development opportunity because you can say as you're trying to find that organization to join by talking to a prospect or a client, would you host me at the next meeting? Do you think it would be valuable for me? I'd like to meet you know, some other members. And you are establishing relationships that way and even expanding your audience too. John, I know I've heard you mention before that sometimes following up and checking back in with clients or individuals that you're dealing with can actually be ineffective. Can you speak to that? Yeah. You know, there's this kind of hunt and pursue that happens in business development. You know, an opportunity presents itself, the lawyer proposes his or her services, and then you don't hear back. And then it becomes just checking in, or I thought I'd follow up, or did you get a chance to read, or what are your thoughts now? And after, you know, multiple times of that, it becomes annoying to the client. You're reminding them that they are not being effective. It's nagging. I think it's really important to look at business development as a series of conversations. Very rarely does an attorney get their next best client in a single conversation. You build that trust and rapport over time. And if you apply that same thinking to following up, Instead of harping back on the same thing, which is, hey, can I have a decision? Can I have a decision? Find other things to reach back with. So maybe it is, hey, I've, you know, I read about this and I'd like to get your thoughts and I'm sharing this article with you. Or, gosh, I'm working on a matter for another client. I'm wondering if you know anybody who does X or Y. Or maybe it's inviting somebody to you know, go play golf or entertain a prospective client that's not focused on getting an answer to the decision on you know, closing the business or getting the work. Yes. Well, we are nearing the end of our program today. We're not at the end yet. And I would like to know if you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners to kind of wrap it all up. I think that attorneys place a lot of pressure on themselves and law firms place a pressure on attorneys to close business, to get out there and build your book. And I think that that's a pretty heavy burden. It's a tough expectation. Business development is a long game. As I said, it's a series of conversations. So sowing the seeds, reconnecting with the person you sat next to in first-year contracts, making new acquaintances, building on those things, building your team, committing to your activity. It takes time and it takes discipline But it gets easier, and frankly, it becomes habitual. And I think also it becomes enjoyable and fulfilling as you meet people and find out what they need and what you can do and how they can help you as well. Um, So I would say give yourself a break as an attorney when it comes to business development. 
understand that it's a marathon, but it can be fun, but you have to be disciplined about it. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, John Reed, for a wonderful program. John, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? That would be great. You can find us online at www.rainbdm.com, and that's rain as in rainmaking and BDM as in business development and marketing. Or you can give us a call, 855-790-7246, and we'll be happy to chat with you and what you're doing to be more successful in business development and marketing. Thank you, John. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.